Turn, if you will, to that passage in Revelation chapter 3 that we read a moment ago to the church there in Philadelphia, the original Philadelphia, not the one in the United States, Pennsylvania, isn't it? The original town of brotherly love. Turkey, as we call it today, then it was the province of Asia in the wider Roman Empire and its uh, descriptions of different places. That was the province of Asia. And our Lord, our risen Lord, visiting John in exile on the island of Patmos, writing to these seven churches in Asia. And he writes to this church in Philadelphia. And the title then of the sermon, as we spend a little moments this morning to consider that, is A Little Strength is Still Enough. Right. A Little Strength is Still Enough. I draw our attention to verse 8, where it says, For you have a little strength, I've kept my word, and have not denied my name. For you have a little strength. Well, it might have been that they, like us, a small company. Apparently, Philadelphia was a town with big ambitions, hoped to make a name for itself. And in a way that the church had not been infected by that spirit, worldly spirit, isn't it, after all, and had instead been content to get on with what it was called to do, persevering, keeping the word, not denying the Lord's name. It gets a commendation. The only other church amongst the uh, churches addressed by a Lord that gets likewise a pretty clean bill of health is the one in Smyrna. Others to varying degrees, qualified uh, encouragement. Others get quite a lot of censure for their behavior and the things they're tolerating. Well, for the most part, those churches in Asia were facing what we're facing, largely speaking, as churches across the world today. Many of them were facing trials and persecution. You notice there that there is a a trial, an hour of trial coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Well, it's not a pandemic, something like that. Trial to come to the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And there were the Lord's people in Philadelphia who would be kept from that hour of trial, that whatever was going to be wrapped up in that trial, they're going to be kept from it. Not that I'm sure they had a sort of immunity, kind of supernatural hedge of protection around them, but they had something to be able to deal with it, come through it, be able to still function throughout that time. So trials, persecutions, that's uh, in other places we learn the martyrdom of Antipas, one of the churches, and other situations of persecution. That was happening. There were spiritual issues, false teaching, and where false teaching is, there's false practice and immorality and that kind. And then, well, it seemed to be a bit of a rampant problem, antinomianism, uh, reduction down from the law of God, giving people reason to think they could behave just as they wanted to. That was prevalent. That kind of teaching 
which was bound up, and Gnosticism was a big and amorphous kind of thing in those days, lots of different parts to it and strands of it. But there was that part of it which taught, do as you like. Your body doesn't count for anything, so do as you like with your body. And some people did. And sexual immorality then, as it is today, was rampant. And the churches, some of them were failing in that. Or, or were just taking on board teachers and teachings, which were just plain false. And some of those churches were censured, their gullibility, they're unwilling to actually say no to those things and shut the doors and shut the gates against that kind of teaching. So nothing new under the sun. Same issues churches face today, same challenges, same troubles. And as these churches, which our Lord could have written to any number of churches, but chose these and chose to address them in these ways, and of course sprinkle liberally across what he writes to those churches, promises and descriptions of himself that were particularly relevant to their need and their situation. Well, then we find ourselves, and this is part of the great work of Scripture, written not just for them but for us, well, we sometimes find ourselves, don't we? Not entirely, as if we're the church, God forbid, the church in Thyatira or the church in Laodicea, but that we're not entirely the church in Philadelphia, or the church, if you say, in Smyrna, or Ephesus, or wherever else. But there are things, aren't there? Things where we think, well, there's something. That's, that's saying something to us. That's, that's a promise. That's important. Well, there's, there's a warning. We take, take that uh, careful note of that. Parallels, overlaps, where we can write our own name somewhere in that letter to whichever church that it might have been. And there is a church in Philadelphia, in modern-day Turkey. Today, I think you'd struggle to find where it is. It's just a, a small village. That's all that's left. Makes you smile, doesn't it? Pretensions of grandeur. Today, you would have to work hard, I think, to find it on the map. Well, there we are. That's what the Lord can do, can't he? To great hopes and pretensions. But here is this church with little strength. Little strength. But that's not a problem. As the Lord addresses that church, there's not a kind of, oh dear, about it. There's not a kind of, well, what have you been doing all this time about it? That you have little strength. And that's not a criticism. That's not a, a judgment in a kind of negative way. It's a description. It's a description. It's a clear verdict of heaven. That's who you are. That's what you're about. And that's not to say, oh dear, but that's just to say, yes, and to say then, well, go in that little strength that you have, go and persevere, and as you do, you are surrounded by promises. You are undergirded by, by promises that are given here by the Lord Jesus himself to that church in Philadelphia. But where maybe we today can say, well, that, that couldn't work for us too. That makes sense to us today. Little strength. Oh, yes, we feel that, don't we? Just, we own that. Not very big, but not without some strength. And obviously the verdict of heaven to the church in Philadelphia was less sufficient. Don't worry. 
you have sufficient strength with your little strength. And I guess we might say, that's us too. And so it says there's hope. It says there's hope. Well, what that church did, what became of it, can't really say. But we know what happened to the, the wider settlement of Philadelphia. I've just described that. Where the church ended up, not sure. But that was their promise. And had they have overcome, he who overcomes, it's in verse 12 there, there's a kind of condition. It's always that, isn't there? Sovereignty of God, but it's full of conditions. If you do this, then that. If you do not do this, then that. And we're meant to hear that. We're meant to act on that. We're meant to be responsible agents who make choices and should make the right choice. Well, they needed to hear these things. We need to hear these things. First heading, it's all right to have little strength. Well, I said that already, haven't I? It's all right to have little strength. Well, you wouldn't believe that if you read a lot of the church literature. Put church actually in inverted commas there, will you? If you read a lot of the church literature. Wow. Big. Got to get big. You've got to be big. Not big? Got a problem then. Better read this book. Better sign up for this course. How many dollars? Well, don't worry. You sign up. There's the package. So many DVDs you can get as part of this course and you'll be away. Ah, there was this book. I won't exaggerate. But every so often, then our church experienced explosive growth. Explosive growth. Well, now there's something, is it not? You know what it was all about and reading the book. I wasn't quite convinced that that growth had a, a hallmark of the Holy Spirit about it, but it obviously satisfied the writer of this book. There, everywhere along the way, explosive growth. Do this, do that. Explosive growth. There they are. They write the books, don't they? Don't think those books would fit in here somehow. Don't think the council of those books would fit in here somehow. I remember reading a book about how to plant your church, how to make it work. Well, I think I got to about chapter 10 or something before it said anything about preaching the word of God. It was all about uh, set this up right here and uh, make sure we said something about keeping the temperature in the room at a good setting. But anyway, there we are. That's our problem, is it just? But make sure the donuts are good and the coffee is good uh, and all of that and be pretty cool and pretty okay sort of people. And uh, okay, that that was the message from there. And and you'll have big strength, not little strength. You'll, You'll be the people. So we don't go that way there. We hear what we have here, read what we have here. So this was not a problem in heaven that they had little strength. They are not castigated for being small, from being nobodies. In the midst of a city that wanted to be somebody's, they were nobodies. But that that was not a problem. Why had it been a problem for the Lord to have 12 disciples drawn from fishermen, tax collectors, as his fellows, as zealots, so he's from some fairly fairly hairy brand of, of Judaism. Oh, and then you had Judas Iscariot too, who would betray him. Unimpressive, unimpressive, and yet sufficient. He was satisfied that he'd chosen exactly the people that he wanted. 
and that they were going to be able to do exactly the work that he intended for them to do. The Pharisees sneered, didn't they? And when the temple guard, John 7, Feast of Tabernacles, and when on the great day of the feast, the last day of it, our Lord is there preaching, and the guard are sent to arrest him, but they don't, because they're so arrested by his words. And the Pharisees sneer at them. Have any of the rulers, the Pharisees, believed in him? Just the people, they've got a curse on them. Don't follow this. Go where the smart people are, where the leaders are, where the rulers are. That's where you find it. So they weren't impressed. And then afterwards in the book of Acts, and when the apostles were before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John were there, and they saw that they were uneducated and untrained men, which is like a negative, really. And yet it puzzled them that they had so much to say with such clarity and boldness. And they realized that it says then these men had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference there. Not their education, not their training. And has not the church through the ages, by the world at large, been despised? Even by the church has been despised, church in its broadest sense there. How much the Lord Jesus Christ is despised? Because that gets down to it, doesn't it? That's where it really is. Whatever people make of believers, however unimpressed they are by who they are, beyond it. They are actually slighting the master of those servants, the Lord himself. Well, if they have called the head uh, Beelzebub, how much more those who are his servants, members of his household? Yes, us. Despised perhaps by a world at large there and little strength. Getting older. Some of us are getting older. There is the fact. Some of us are becoming more infirmed. Many of us are burdened with cares. We have some young people, but we don't have hundreds of young people. There is a work to be done, but little strength to do it with. And that's all right. That is all right. And there is the thing. Do we keep his word? Do we keep his word? I ask myself that question. Do I keep his word? Do you keep his word? Well, perhaps we're not the best people to answer that. The church in Philadelphia needed an inspired word from heaven in order to know that that was the truth for them. But if we're trying to keep his word, and if there is something of a sincerity about our efforts and our toils, if we're battling on, fighting the fight of the faith, if there is still about us that which keeps coming back, persevering again, Ended the last year there, didn't we? Well, we hadn't exactly seen explosive growth there, friends. Let me just uh, gently tell you that if you've not worked that out. But here we are starting a new year. And we started it, preaching again, having our services again, planning our open airs again, be back in the schools this week, Seekers Club, God willing, starts up the week after this. And we press on again, and we're persevering again. Still here. Not stopped, not given up. And indeed, there are even some advantages to being a small church. That you get to know each other better. You get to know each other's news and views better. Pray for each other with more knowledge and understanding. Situations, we've we've got fewer people to have to remember. 
larger churches, well, you often don't know, hardly anybody, isn't that the fact? And uh, it's more difficult to keep up to date with what's happening. News, and sometimes it's gossip, isn't it? But let's put it more positively. News travels quickly about each other, and we can be on the job of praying for them quicker. And in small causes, well, we have to focus on the priorities, don't we? We can't uh, start uh, up debt counselling services and have staff dedicated to food banks and maybe good works in their place, sure. We haven't got the personnel to do it. So we focus on the priorities. And the priorities are clear, aren't they? The gospel. Preaching the gospel. The great commission. That we should be part of that. However small a part of it. With whatever lack of strength we have. But be part of that. Be out and doing what we can. and Meeting who we can. and Talking to who we can. Preaching to who we can. That's the priority. But in a small church, yeah, we can get that easier because we haven't got the manpower to spread ourselves and do a host of other things and ministries. We have to focus with the resources we have. Resources usually means people we have on the priorities and it's gospel, gospel priorities. And we learn that better in a small church. We understand that better. We can see that's what we've got to be about. We can't really be anything else with who we are. So let's be that. And that is more clearly established. So there we are. It's all right to have little strength. The second heading, really following on from that, conserving our strength. Conserving our strength. Well, if you've got little to start with, best use it as wisely as possible. If you haven't got much time, energy, people, then deploy them as carefully as possible. And each of us, before God, have a responsibility with our little strength to steward that strength, time, health, energy, money, those things, who we are, steward it to make it work for the kingdom of God to maximum effect. We're stewards. We have to be. We have to be wise stewards. And in a way, when strength diminishes, we get older. Well, then we have to be more astute in the use of those resources and to ensure that we're focusing rightly here. We're focusing Christ-centeredly on who we are and what we are to do. So we have made decisions here, really, over the last few years as a church. Part of our where are we now, we ask ourselves that every so often. If you've traveled along with us, you might have picked up one of those. You might have been here for the whole set. I don't know, but uh, we, we have had some of those. And made decisions to outsource certain things that we we have done. Cleaning, for instance, and the garden a bit more in the future. Outsource these things so that the people who would be doing those things, the kind of small company, their resources are stewarded for gospel work, for getting on with that work, being able to be there for the children's work, being able to be there for the open airs, whatever else that it might be. We thank God. Yeah, I don't think I'm making or uh, breaching any secrets or confidences. We had our church meeting, or what do we call it then? Strictly speaking, court, but nevertheless, there we were, passing on news and views. They're the financial accounts. And well, we often 
Those of us who have been here a few years, uh, smile. It's incredible. We have resources that we've never, never as a church had before. And that helps us outsource a few things, get a little bit of help there, bit of help we can buy in there. And the accountants over the road, they look after a few things for us there. Good. We can get on then with the job we feel we're called to do. But we can lose strength in other ways besides the jobs that have to be done. Why we can consume our time in what I will call unanswerable questions. Answerable questions. Well, now, you tell me how predestination and election fit in with human responsibility. You answer that for me, and I will say, I don't think you can. And I will stand here and say, because I can't, and the books I read, they can't either. Live with it. That's an unanswerable question. That lies within the mystery of God's sovereignty, and that's who God is. Get used to it. Get over it, if you like. That's who he is. And we learn to live with that, not be consumed with it, not chewed up over it. Getting on with the work at hand and having all this to say, well, I'll put that there. It's in the word of God. I'll have to just put that there. God will show me. He will do all things right. I'm going to trust him. And what's that great commission again? Let's get on with that. Because whatever else in the sovereignty of God and the mystery of election, one thing's as plain as a pike staff. That we're to go and preach to every creature under heaven. Unanswerable questions can take away our strength. Some distinctives can take away our strength. And well, we all have views on the end of the age, end times, eschatology. We all have views on that. And some people have very strong views and take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort and denounce other people's views on that. One sighs at times over that and says, I don't think that really is the best use of time and energy. By all means, study what we expect to see at the end of the age. By all means, be refining your understanding, my understanding. By all means, keep an eye on what's going on out there in the world. Apply it with the word of God open. But there are other things too. For some people, there don't seem to be any other things. That's the only thing. Well, that's, that's a loss of strength in doing that. Name a few other things too there. Oh my, some of the stress and strain of the Bible versions that uh, causes me to sigh. Some of the distinctives people have on things like homeschooling. Again, we can dissipate energy on, on that. Trying to be identical in, in everything. What we do, what we don't do on the Lord's day. That can sap energy and sap strength. It can be particular distinctives that can just take away something of the priority and the urgency of who we are, what we're meant to be. And then sin. Sin. That is an energy-sapping, strength-draining phenomenon. Sin. While you're entertaining sin... You're not entertaining high views of God. We're meant to be who we're meant to be. We're off on maneuvers. We're elsewhere. We are distracted, to put it in its best sense, but we're actually declining. Strength is declining. Sin will keep us busy. There's a lot to do. Sin requires a lot of maintenance, a lot of money, a lot of effort, and it'll keep you busy. 
But the energy is not the energy that we need for what we have in the Bible to do. It's the opposite. It's taking us away from that. I tell you this, and you don't need me to tell you this, sin troubles the conscience. And when the conscience is troubled, the heart is full of conflict, full of trouble, full of difficulty. And when the soul, when the conscience is in that state, it won't take long, I offer the thought, before the body begins to show the strain of it and begins to crumble a bit under the strain of it. Not everywhere. That is not a diagnosis for every condition that there is. Many of us here have all kinds of conditions, all kinds of causes, organic, mental, whatever else there, big, big subject. But we know this, such a troubled conscience is one of the biggest sources of depression out there in the world. One of the biggest sources of some of the troubles of life that people have. Had they obeyed God, they would have a clear conscience. And if they had a clear conscience, they would be happier people in the soul. And if it goes well with the soul, well, the body might just follow along with it. So there we are. Sin is not helpful to strength. It takes away from it, troubles us, lying, get away with it. But it troubles people. Interesting. Kim Philby. The, um, well, call him a traitor, wasn't he? That, that's what he was. A spy for the Russians, the USSR in the height of the Cold War when the, the Soviets were, I think, a threat to our liberties, our civilization, and certainly were not a great help across the world. And he was divulging secrets to, to the Russians over that period, do it with uh, absolute consummate ease. He, he, just was a class act. Nobody, well, nobody, some did actually suspect him, but he could bluster away and call it preposterous. Anybody could think he was a spy. People just nodded in agreement. So sorry, we asked, you know. And he got away with it, flew away from Russia, escaped justice in this country. Except he didn't. And he ended up a pretty depressed and miserable figure in his flat in Moscow. I guess he got whatever could go by way of VIP treatment in a country where you had to queue for basic necessities of life. Well, anyway, he had, if you will, the best that could be afforded him, and he drank himself to death. That was it. Somehow, couldn't believe his own lies. Somehow, it all caught up with him, and he did what some do. He drank himself to an early grave. We can be in, in a situation, again, within our own life, complaining. Moaning, groaning, that, that, that can sap energy. That can, that can take the mind away from what is important. And rather than moaning and groaning, we should ask ourselves more often, well, how can I be part of the answer? How can I be part of the solution? Something needs changing, something needs addressing, there's a hole here, there's a gap there, what can I do? Roll up sleeves time, where there is little strength, perhaps we're being called to be that strength. And worries anxieties take time, take energy, and it evaporates away. Affectionisms of one kind or another, they take away what little strength we may have. Well, we offer a few thoughts there on conserving our strength, being jealous for our time, preserving it for God, making sure our stewardship is ever more attuned to the needs of the hour, ever more mindful of who we are, what might be just taking away from that strength. Final heading, pray for more strength. Pray for 
more strength. Yes, that actually we might be bigger. Yes, that we might have more yet added to us. Yes, young families. Yes, younger faces. Meaning any disrespect to those of us who are older faces, but younger faces. Bringing their strength, bringing their hope and their vision. Adding something there. It's been lovely talking to uh, younger ministers. And yes, the energy that they have and the hope that they have and what they can bring to a situation. Well, all power to them. We pray for more strength for ourselves. We pray for more strength for all the churches, all our friends, all those near and far. That they will hold fast as we pray, that we will hold fast. We'll have the strength to hold fast. We'll have the, the strength to overcome. We'll have the strength to persevere, to do the things that the Lord told the church in Philadelphia to do. Yeah, we'll do that too. Because, oh, look, there are the promises. Look, there are promises. There are truths. There are hopes built into those truths. Well, if I say pray for strength, what does he say? He comes quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. He may be coming quickly, soon coming, of a second coming. Sure. But it can also mean that he's coming to his people. They may feel it's a bit far going here, and uphill here. And he promises, I'm coming quickly. I'm bringing relief, bringing something to your soul. I'm going to add something in. Maybe some sin, I'll show you about that. I'll be helping you on that. We'll get rid of that. Well, that's which is bothering you, weighing you down. We'll put that to one side. We'll even that out. So that's you. A bit more reinvigorating, a bit more energy more focus. I'm coming quickly to you. Well, he does answer our prayerfulness. He'll give strength to overcome sin. He gives strength to live with differences that we have. Give us strength to forgive, strength to change, to repent, to be sanctified, strength to cope with our little strength, to accommodate ourselves to what we can't do, and wait a day perhaps when others will come, and we can do. What we are called pillars. People with little strength. Well, they always have strength enough because they're called pillars. I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Coming and persevering. They're going to stand. They're going to represent something here. And they're not going to go out anymore. That they're, they're locked in here into the Lord's fellowship with them. He's got his hold upon them. There's some stability and some strength given to them. And in a way, some of the perhaps being tossed to and fro here and winds of doctrine carrying about there. No, that doesn't happen anymore. They're here, stable, in a situation where they're immovable. And that's a promise, isn't it? We find the Lord making to us here. But he makes other promises too and we just finish with this one, this idea of the name in verse 12, the name. He is going to give a name. Well, he says, first of all, of course, it's our Lord Jesus speaking, the name of my God. Interesting language. Remember, he is our mediator, the God man. And he speaks as that mediator and speaks of my God and my father. 
That's my God. I'm going to write his name on you. I don't expect some sort of handwriting or some strange kind of imposition etched into your head or anything weird like that. It means he's going to communicate his identity, that you belong to him, that you're at home with him, that he is at peace with you. And then look next, because he says, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. That new name means that's where you belong. That's who you are. You're a citizen of heaven. You're not a member of this fallen world. You've been moved on. And that new name, because you're a new creature with a new status, and now new affiliations, new belongings, new identity, you will know that. It's not something that's a secret name, not something that you knew nothing about that. So you found out one day that actually you were ennobled. You mean I was the Duke of somewhere all that time and I never knew it? You find out maybe on your deathbed, I'm picturing a story for you there. Or that's, you know, you had a well, we get these letters or emails, perhaps you still get them informing you that in Nigeria, some wealthy relative, the gasping, dying moment said, I want to leave a million pounds to this person in Kreitsch or South Normanton or somewhere. Well, that's news to you. It is news to you because it's not true, of course. And you're meant to get a, give a little money to help this transaction go through. And that's the end of that little money. And that fortune was never there. Oh, no. But imagine that it was true. You only found out on your deathbed. Well, it's not like that here. You're told about it because the Holy Spirit communicates it because you'll cry, Abba, Father. That identity and that belonging is something that he is working into us. The new name, who you really are now. And then our Lord says, and I write on him, my new name. It's his new name. But it's where he is now. Christ glorified. We've seen the Christ suffering and we've seen the Christ abased on earth. We've followed his sorrows and his sobs and his sighs. We've seen him crucified. We've seen him stripped of honour and glory. We've seen him reviled, the one who deserved dignity. Not now. The right hand of God. And he is saying to us, well, my new name as great high priest, king of kings and of Lord of Lords, that name, me, I am the one, if we just look at verse 7, who has the key of David, royal authority. And when I shut things, they are shut. And when I open things, they are opened. That's how I'm dealing with you. You'll find in your circumstance, what I've shut, nobody else will be able to open because I am with you. And I am telling you, you belong to me. You belong to me, Saviour, your friend, Lord, and your master. And I am quite some king, king of kings, in fact, Lord of lords. And you actually are kings and priests unto me. You're reigning with me. You're there. You're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's now. And something of that does filter through. We're often in the fog. Oh, we're often weighed down, certainly I am, but what it means to have little strength. But there is something, for those who have ears to hear, that is, in verse 13, we'll hear it. There it is. Perhaps some of that applies to you and to me. And he's communicating 
love and affection and care to those who have little strength, but perhaps not perfectly, but in some fashion have kept his word, not denied his name. So let's travel on with our little strength, because in heaven's estimate, that's enough. That'll do. And may God indeed have before us an open door. No one can shut a work to do. Nobody can stop us in. That we may look back on this year, perhaps, as a very significant year in your life and in mine and in the life of this church. May that be. Amen.